0: Awesome to have you here on this Compassion Sunday. I love Compassion Sunday for two reasons. One, children's lives are changed. Number two, a lot more superficially, I get to wear a T-shirt. And and that is is a a mini win for me. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for being here. We're going to be back into the book of James this morning, um, into chapter 1 once again. So back into the letter of James in chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to ask two questions. Question 1, what is the end goal in your life? What what are you kind of aiming for in life? Second question, what is the end goal for your faith walk? Like what are you aiming for and hoping to see in your faith walk? And if then if you're honest, which one of those are the pri- priority right now? If you're not really sure, maybe ask yourself what one do you think about more? Those are some questions and I want you to keep those questions in the back of your mind as we work through this sermon because they're going to come up once again towards the end. But we're going to be in chapter 1 and we're just going to do 3 verses a day, verses 2 through 4. In James chapter 1. So we'll dive right there. Starting at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the gift that you are. I just pray, Lord, that you would um, that you would bring clarity to our hearts and minds, Lord. Lord, I just pray that uh, that you would give us ears to hear that what we need to hear today. Would you give me words to speak, Lord, and that that uh, those. Those words that we just sang in the last song, Lord, that that is who you are, that we would know who you are, that we'd be able to recognize you and to to understand you as a a way maker, as a a miracle worker, as a promise keeper, and light even in the darkness, Lord, even through trials. And so, Lord, would we understand you and see you even in the darkness that we face some days. Amen. Count it all joy. That's what verse 2 starts off. When you face trials of various kinds, count it all joy. What a crazy start to this letter from James. This doesn't make really any rational sense. The storms of life, difficulty, sickness, all these trials of various kinds that you face bring a lot of things. But I wouldn't say joy would be one of them. And here it is clearly put, count it as joy. I want to look at two things uh, this morning, two different avenues uh, from this text. Number 1, why should we count it as joy? And number 2, how can we possibly actually do that? How how is it possible to count it as joy? So I'll start with that first avenue. Why should we count it as joy? Well, let's look at the text because this text really unfolds really really beautifully. So we're going to work our way through these three verses to start. And in verse 3, right after this bold statement, count it all joy when these trials come of various kinds, it says, verse 3, because, why? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So it's making a logical conclusion here that the trials, uh, trials actually test our faith. And I think we could probably agree on that. If you're in a trial right now, big or small, is it testing your faith? Or if you've ever been in a trial, did it put your faith to a test? Probably did, of course. Trials and tests can make us question God. It can bring doubts to the surface so we can kind of process them with the Lord. And that's going to be fine. Having doubts and, and questions for the Lord, those are things that we need to process at times. But also, what trials do is it brings us, these tests bring us to lean on the Lord because it brings us to the end of ourselves and our own abilities, and it reveals our limitations. If you're going through something really hard right now, whether it, and that can be, like it says, of various kinds, it forces us to kind of realize that our own strength is very limited, that we can't do everything we'd like to do, that we, we can't do what we ought, and so it tests our faith to say, Lord, I, I can't do it, but I, I, I hope you can, and it tests our faith, faith. And that's exactly how the verses continue to go. So you may ask then, um, what does this all do? Like I'm going through t- steadfastness. Is testing our faith, produces steadfastness. Um, so w- what's the point of steadfastness? A better, maybe a better translation for steadfastness that we'd understand in, in a clearer way is, is the word for en- is Endurance. So what's so great about endurance? If testing our faith, if trials test our faith and produce steadfastness, if they create an endurance, what's the point of endurance? Well, verse 4 answers that. It says, let endurance or steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So trials bring about a testing of our faith that produces endurance, and when endurance finishes its work, we're complete and perfect, not Lacking anything. And if you're like me as you work through these verses, it's kind of like, well, what, is, what does that last part mean? If this is kind of the goal of it all, the summation, to be perfect and complete, I mean, that doesn't seem possible. On this side of heaven, how can I ever be complete and mature and not lack anything? But this is exactly what Scripture is saying is true. This is what comes about. So how does this work? Well, this is how my mind works on these verses this morning. So bear with me as I get a little nerdy this morning with some graphs, okay, living word, because I want to explain how I believe how this functions, and and maybe it's helpful in you as you think about how our faith walks progress. But I know this. If you're going to ever go as far as using graphs in any type of talk, there's a couple things that are needed. You need to wear glasses so people trust that you're smart, okay? (laughs) Okay. And you also need some sort of long stick to be really overly aggressive and obnoxious with it as you're pointing at the graph, trying to get your point across, okay? And uh, lucky enough for you, I actually have both with me here today. So here we go. <clears throat> get ready. <laughs> we got to figure this out. <clears throat> All right, so first of what I want to do with this, uh, with this whiteboard up here is graph... How we think worldly maturity works, because this first four verses is really processing how we mature in our faith and how t- trials do that. So h- first, how does worldly maturity work? What's the goal of it? Worldly maturity. And I'm gonna do this is my graph, right? This this is like our age as we as we age, and this graph is talking about how independent we are. All right. So as you start as a young baby, you are completely dependent on your parents, on your mom in particular, right? And as you grow, you start to become more and more independent. And there's some bumps in the roads, as you see, right? But the goal is here is that as you get further along in life, you become more independent. You're not dependent on everyone else, Right? You can do more and more things as your own as you become more capable. And then this graph, as it goes up, right, you kind of you reach a peak that you level off and then towards the end of life at times it goes back down right, as we become more dependent on people once again as, as we're unable to do everything that we perhaps used to do. All right, So this is what it looks like in my mind how we mature in a worldly sense, gaining more and more of our independence. And you could make an argument that our faith maturity works like this too. But I would argue that it's actually quite opposite. In fact, the exact opposite. See, I think it's easy to look at like our faith walk and as we grow in the Lord that we're becoming more and more holy. And we're, we're like climbing the ladder. And we're getting, but the way that the kingdom of God always works is that Jesus is coming down to us. Every other religion on the planet, we have to climb up. We try to earn favor with with the God, right? We try to polish ourselves up and do a little better, do the right good works, do all this stuff. And as you do that, maybe one day you'll you'll be good enough. But Jesus kind of throws that whole system on its head because Jesus is like, you can never be good enough. Your works are never going to be, all right, so I'm going to throw down the ladder and I'm going to actually come down to you. You don't have to climb to me. I'm going to come down to you. And what Jesus shows us is a very different idea of biblical maturity. So biblical maturity would go like this. We start out very independent, but as we mature in Jesus Christ and as the Holy Spirit does its work, we actually go down. See, we start out independently, it's like, I, I can do whatever I want. This is especially a Midwest thing, right? I don't want to depend on anybody else. I can handle it myself. I'm going to do my own thing, and I want to show everybody that, that you know, I don't depend on anybody else, Right? as we see in scripture, is we are constantly being called to depend more and more on the Lord. This is what faith is. And so we start independent, and God slowly, through the power of the Holy Spirit, kind of starts wrecking our ego. The Holy Spirit kills our ego. It hunts down our ego, and it says, you can't do it. I don't care how how great you think you are. There's trials in life and there's hardship in life that you're never going to be able to handle. And so we're pushed to our limits. And as we mature in faith, we just become more and more dependable or dependent, I should say, on God. This is what it means to be a child of God. Our ego does not go down without a fight. I'll tell you that. Our flesh always wants to be in control, always wants to rule the roost. We love to be our own gods, don't we? Anybody not like 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 being out of control? No, (laughs) we always love being in control. But the Lord's saying, it it doesn't work. You need to die to yourself. This is, I mean, being a child of God is synonymous with being dependent. I what we call it on our tax forms, right? How many dependents do you have? You know? Being a child is being dependent. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God? And so we are. Pastor Dave often says that Jesus, although being both God and man, was perhaps more human than any of us because he was more dependent on the Father than anyone else ever was or will be. Does that make sense? Jesus was totally dependent on the Father for everything he did in his ministry, relying on the Father, submitting to the Father, being obedient to the Father. And so with this graph, as I said before, it's so different from how we think about our own personal maturity through life because because God's kingdom is so different from our own worldly standards and ways we do things. And so we see in Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will actually find it. This is what's happening. Luke nine twenty three, and he says to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It is in dying to ourselves coming to the end of ourselves that we can find rest and peace in being who God called us to be, children that are dependent upon him in everything. And as the Holy Spirit does this in our lives, and this doesn't always feel good, right? Oftentimes it feels hard. There is a death that's happening in us as we have to just let go and and come to the end of ourselves. Something really beautiful happens as this goes on. It's if you want to turn, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul's writing this letter, and he says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, in in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, as you decrease, Christ can increase in your life. See, this is the deal. When we're independent, Christ is like, I can't really be seen. You're doing so much on your own and you're trying to do it all that like there's no room for me. People only see you and your accomplishments and your ego and your abilities. But as you die to yourself and as you continue to come to the knowledge that I need Jesus, when we're completely dependent on the Father, this like Jesus is like living through us at this point. Like people don't see you, they see Christ Jesus living in you. I hope that makes sense. Like, I've been crucified with Christ, and I don't even live anymore, Galatians 2.20 says. It's now that Christ lives in me, and, I, and that's the goal, right? That is the goal, that people don't even see you anymore, that they just see Jesus living in you, that they're like, man, I, I, just, I just look at this person, and, I, just, and they, I see Jesus. Jesus is living out of them, and Jesus gets the glory through our lives, and we don't get the glory in our lives. It's like, I don't care if I get a credit I don't care if I get credit anymore Jesus I just hope with the way my life looks that you get the credit that people can see you living through me And as we get to these positions of faith where we just can give it all up to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm I'm over me. In fact, I'm most of the time, I'm the problem. And so, Lord, would you just get rid of me at times so that that you just can be what I live for and you live through me and you can just be used. I just use my hands and my feet and my life for your sake. That's all I hope. I just depend on you, Jesus, for everything. As we do that, we live into verse four says, we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I mean, what does a child of the living God lack? I mean, really, with the all-powerful God of the universe who owns everything, who sees all things as your heavenly father, he's a good heavenly father, has all things, and looks down at you, and he's like, you're my child. What does that child lack? Nothing. We have all that we need in Jesus Christ. Complete. We are complete when we're completely reliant on Him because He has no limits. He's got no limits. But when we rely on ourselves, we're pretty incomplete. Because if you're like me, you're pretty limited in what you're able to do and accomplish. And trials reveal this, don't they? When you go through trials, you understand how limited you truly are. You understand where your shortcomings are, how much you can't handle it. Church, trials is one of the tools that God uses to bring this about in us. To bring us to the end of ourselves. To bring us into a state of dependency on him. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways that he works this, And this is why we can count them as joy. And I'm not telling you that we have to go out looking for trials, but when they do come, and they will, we can count them as joy because God doesn't waste those battles. He'll use them for good. That's what these verses are all about. Romans 8, 28, right? For God works all things for the good of of those that are called according to His purpose. God uses these things in your life to to shape you, to use you, and then to send you. We can count this as joy. I remember uh, at the last part of of 2020, last few months of 2020, I got a letter in the mail from uh, Sylvia Prietal. If you know Sylvia, uh, she's passed away now, but she was 89 at the time. The pandemic was in full swing. Her husband Jim was 91. They had to go live with their kids down in Kansas, I believe. And in her letter she wrote, she just talked about all the different things she'd seen in her 90 years of life, which was a lot. And at the end of the letter, although she did long for different circumstances, she said simply, this too shall pass. And they were words spoken in faith. Of someone who had depended on the Lord for a very long time in very many different seasons. And there was almost an indifference to the trial that was at hand at that time, knowing that she had the Lord and the Lord had her. And in a time of uncertainty, she spoke with such certainty because she had the certainty of God on her side and knew that I really lack nothing. I mean, I've got the Lord. And these trials are hard, but I am complete and lack nothing when he is my heavenly father. Avenue one. That is why we should count it as joy when we face trials. Because God is going to use it. Even the stuff that he wouldn't necessarily desire for you, and he hates the pain that you may be going through, but he says, I can redeem this and use this for your good. (laughs) But then the avenue number two, how can we possibly live this back out? And this brings me back to those starting questions I asked right away. What is your end goal in life? What is your end goal for your faith walk? And which one of those are a priority? Now, I want to say this. I'm not against setting goals and having earthly goals. I love setting goals. I'm terrible at completing them, but I I love setting them. But if your priority and goal in your life that you're shooting and aiming for has worldly ties, then trials will inevitably always frustrate you. They will be infuriating because when you're walking through life and you're like, I'm trying to get right there, I'm trying to get to this, you know, out of debt, or I'm trying to get whatever it might be, even good goals, right? And then when the fault, you know, when you got a leaky roof, or you get in a car accident, or you hit a deer, or whatever it might be, the client's not paying, or you get an injury that keeps you from doing something that you were shooting for, all that just gets so infuriating because you're like, Lord, would you knock it off? I'm trying to get over here, and every time I hit a trial, It's a roadblock, a roadblock, and I can't get there, and it's just driving me crazy, right? But if our goal is not necessarily a worldly tie, but it's just to walk in dependence upon the Lord in every season, allowing Christ to live through us, then trials can actually be used to bring that about. And then this insanely irrational comment, like count it all joy, can actually make sense and be lived out. Because we know that, then trials come. We're like, Lord, what I'm really trying to shoot for is to stay dependent on you, and I want it to be used. So, you can do this. I know you can use this, and I'm not. I don't enjoy the trial I'm in, but I don't. I can count it as joy today because I know it's going to get me to where I want to be, and that's into your arms and reminding that I'm just a reminder that I'm a chi- your child. These verses are so hard to remember, and even harder to live out. I'm not saying that it's easy. But this is why we need to stay connected to the Word of God that produces faith and reminds us of all that's been done to us and for us through Jesus Christ. You know, James starts this letter with quite a bang in verse 2. But in the first verse, in verse one, we can actually see what James's goal was, what his life was about, as he greets himself with his identity. He says, "James, a servant of God," and that Greek word for servant here is doulos. It means bond servant. It means a servant that that cho- like willingly binds himself to a master because he's good, and he knows he'll be taken care of. And James says, I have bound myself. I'm a lifelong bondservant to Christ. He is my master. I'm going to be dependent upon him, even in the trials that he himself was currently facing as he wrote this. He considered himself bound to Christ, willing to do whatever came his way and to hopefully give God the glory through it. And so what is your goal this morning? What are you bound to these days? Now, however you may answer that question, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Regardless of what your goals are, I want to remind you and encourage you this morning that Christ, too, has a goal, and it's to rule and reign over your life and to bring about what the promises of Scripture to fruition in your life. He has a goal to be bound to you, to live with you and in you, to be consistently in your life each and every day where he doesn't leave nor forsake. He binds himself to you and says, let's go. Let's go. I want to get rid of you so that people can see me and that we can have quite the adventure together. And I hope as we go through this letter from James that our hearts together will see how beautiful it is to be bound to Christ, how beautiful it is to let our egos go and to have Christ live through us with the time that we have left on this earth. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good God, and we are so grateful for your goodness. Lord, would you help us just be able to embrace the things that need to die in us, Lord, so that you can be seen so clearly through the ways that we live and walk and talk, Lord, that people would look at us and see you, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that whatever that takes, Lord, whether it be encouragement or trials, whatever that might be, to bring about your good work in us, Lord, that you would let that be, Lord, that we could decrease so that Jesus Christ could increase, Lord, because our lives, you've purchased our lives, they're not our own, and Lord, and so we just submit to you, Jesus, and ask that you would use us, continue your good work to completion. It's in your name we pray, amen.